From New York Women in Film and Television, this is Shot Collars, a podcast that celebrates the work of women behind the scenes and in front of the camera in film, television, and digital media. Welcome to Shot Collars. I'm your host, Destiny Lilly. I have a special episode for you today, a preview of the upcoming Nywift Muse Awards. Coming up on Thursday, December 8th in New York City, the Muse Awards are Nywift's signature event that celebrates the work of women in the industry. This year, the honorees are actor Debbie Mazar, Jackie Kelly, Chief Operating Officer for Bloomberg Media, actor Martha Plimpton, Amy Goodman of Democracy Now!, actor Mary Louise Parker, and Marcia Smith, President of Firelight Media. I had the opportunity to sit down with Marcia a few days ago to discuss her career, and I'll have that interview for you a little later in the podcast. First, a little background on the Muse Awards. For more than 30 years, NYWIFT has been celebrating the accomplishments of women in our industry. Past winners include Meryl Streep, Lauren Bacall, Ruby Dee, Liv Ullman, Whoopi Goldberg, America Ferreira, Julie Taymor, and many others. A Muse Award is a special honor. Not only is it a chance to be recognized by your peers, but it's also an opportunity to speak about your journey. In 2012, Muse honoree Mariska Hargitay did just that. Have a listen. I'm sitting here and I'm feeling incredibly inspired today, and I am so deeply honored to be up here with you ladies, truly. Um, One of the most exciting things um, and exciting parts of this today is that it's called New York Women in Film Television. Um, I arrived here from Los Angeles 14 years ago and I always wanted to move to New York. And of course, I always wondered if I'd ever be able to call myself a New Yorker. So I'm, um, I think I'm getting closer to that title. <laughs> I just didn't know that it would involve so many hours of looking for bodies in the Gowanus Canal. <laughs> Meet me at the coffee shop on 50th and 6th Avenue. Listen for when the barista calls the name Gary. Ugh, I need to see you wearing the panties. Want to make sure they're fresh out of the oven? Well, ah, you got to head it to Pervs, man. They don't accept mediocrity. I feel so skanky. Oh, please. I've done worse. Like what? Uh, Lilith Fair, 98. They don't call them box seats for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hope Caitlin appreciates what you do for her. She can never know. We're taking this to the grave. Deal. That's a clip from the TV land show Younger that stars Debbie Mazar. And in that clip, you hear her talking to Sutton Foster. Democracy Now! has been covering climate justice issues for the full 20 years that we have been broadcasting. We go to every UN climate summit. So often it's indigenous people on the front lines. We covered the Keystone XL pipeline. Now we're covering the Dakota Access Pipeline. And the important role of a journalist is to go to where the silence is. We should not be 
alone in the major media coming to cover this historic unification of Native Americans from more than 200 tribes from Latin America to the United States to Canada. All of the media should be there, given the scope of this struggle. And we encourage all of the media to come here. We certainly will continue to cover this struggle. It's not only to protect the water and land rights, but it's, your, but it's covering your right to speak, to be heard. Amy Goodman has been doing powerful work for Democracy Now!, most recently in relation to the Dakota Access Pipeline protests. She'll be presented with the Laureen Arbus Changemaker Award, a recognition for someone whose work is making a difference for women in the industry and in the world. Part one of my conversation with Marcia Smith. I had the pleasure of sitting down with Marcia at the Firelight Media offices just a few days ago here in New York City. I'm here today with Marcia Smith, president of Firelight Media. Marcia, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. So we are at NYWIFT are really excited about our upcoming Muse Awards, and you are one of the people who's being honored for your work. I'd love to hear how you came to be involved with Firelight, and what was your journey to coming to where you are today? To where I am today? I'm very excited about the Muse Award. I'm honored and very excited about that, so thank you. Um, Firelight, I'm a co-founder of Firelight. Uh, we are just over 16 years old, wow. which is unbelievable to me, but we're 16 years old. We started initially um, as an organization that was gonna build some infrastructure around documentary filmmaking production. Um, we were a nonprofit, however, so that's because the content of the films we make um, is generally about African-American history or social issues. These, as you know, are not commercially viable, generally. Um, so we started as a nonprofit um, to do that kind of work. Uh, my own background, I came to this work from um, working in philanthropy, working in government, and being a writer. So I, I came to film really as a, as a writer. But Firelight initially started that way. O over the years, we've grown um, and become probably best known at this point for having a documentary lab, which is for emerging diverse filmmakers who are doing their first or second feature-length documentary. And basically what we do is try to help them get done. It's difficult work, it's lonely work, it's um, challenging uh, emotionally and otherwise, especially when you're doing it for the first time, to, it's like having a baby, you know, to bring your film to the end in a shape that you are proud of and then bring it to the world. So we try to build a community in which first-time filmmakers can do that, uh, can get the community support they need, can get the mentoring that they need. So a big part of what we do is we match filmmakers with more experienced producers or sometimes with editors or writers um, to try to help them get to the finish line. Um, that's the heart of what we do. 
We also, I, I, I'm talking too long, but we also, um, over the years, have added a program that uh, we call Impact and Engagement, uh, which is kind of the other end, um, so that once the films are done, we try to help them get out into the world. So um, we try to connect audiences for the film, to connect films with their natural audience. That could be through advocacy groups that care about the issues. It could be the general public. Um, so we, we try to do that in too. That's really amazing. And um, I'm curious, what kind of work are you passionate about seeing? Like what kind of uh, films do you get really excited about, you know, when they come across your desk? Oh, when they first come in the door? Yeah. Uh, the <laughs> ones I get excited about are the ones where the filmmaker's passion is evident. Uh, th that's what really speaks to me. And I think because we are working with filmmakers of color, they're telling stories from their communities. They're telling stories that they know. They're not telling stories that they find interesting, quote unquote, um, or important, quote unquote, although those things are true. Um, so they're telling these stories from the inside. And that's what really excites me is to kind of help bring these narratives that are really absent from most of our experience in the mainstream media, you know, out in the world. So the ones that excite me are the ones where, you know, the filmmaker is connected and passionate about what it is. And that, that doesn't mean they're all, some of them are very personal films. So one that premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival last year um, was, was a very personal film about the filmmaker's family relationships um, and in which her uncle was gay but was in the closet and the kind of how, not he wasn't in the closet, but it became a, a matter of contention within her family that she kind of dug through to see what that was. So it could be a very personal film like that. Um, we have a, a filmmaker in the lab now who is Native Hawaiian who's doing a film about Hawaiian prisoners who are placed in prison in Arizona, federal prisoners, and how these incarcerated people kind of look to their traditional culture to strengthen themselves and each other in this inside this experience. So she's telling the story of a an important kind of social issue, an important policy, um, but she's telling it from inside a culture, cultural perspective. So those things I find very exciting. That's really exciting too because I think it's important to see, you know, the passion of a filmmaker, you know, that it's it's not just like, oh, I happened across this interesting story, but it's something that feels really personal. Right. Um, I wanted to know, like, what was your first job that you ever had like in related to the industry the first job I had um, well I guess it depends on how it, it wasn't <laughs> in, even in the industry here's here's my my short story is I, I studied film and television production in college I got out I couldn't get a job <laughs> and I was quick pretty quickly discouraged um, so I had had internships while I was in college. I had, you know, written papers. I had done, you know, s produced things while I was in school. But I pretty quickly got discouraged um, by my inability to kind of get connected. And 
I knew that I was passionate about politics, about community activism. So I ended up going in a completely different direction. Um, I ended up first teaching for a while, going back to grad school where I studied media again, um, going to work in philanthropy, going to work in politics where I started writing more. I would write speeches, I would write reports, policy papers, things like that, not film. Um, and then when I worked in philanthropy, I started funding film. So I always had this kind of halfway connection, but it wasn't really, well, actually, I worked on Stanley Nelson, who's my partner's film on black newspapers, while I still had a suit job, a regular job. So that was my first kind of, I'm working on this film now. So it wasn't a full-time gig, but it, was, it had my heart in it. Um, and that was a year before we started Firelight. That was a long time ago. <laughs> More of my conversation with Marcia Smith later, but first. What's going on, Mom? I don't know. I'm not feeling like the greatest Catholic lately. Why? Because you're dating VP Murray? And my divorce isn't final yet? Church just doesn't feel right to me. I feel like a hypocrite. I guess I threw myself into this because I thought it'd give me all the structure and community without all the guilt. You know, kind of like diet Catholicism. Hmm. The guilt came with me anyway. So what if you're not the Catholic you used to be? Things change, but God still shows up for you. Trust me. Martha Plimpton stars on The Real O'Neills on ABC. In that clip, you can hear her speaking with Noah Galvin, who plays her son on the show. Bloomberg Media COO Jackie Kelly will be honored as well this year. In November of last year, she spoke on her work for Bloomberg. At Bloomberg, we have eight values we live by, and one of them is move fast but thoughtfully. And those two are inherently can be in conflict. And I think that probably what would keep me up, are we moving fast enough? Because there's just so much change. It's also what is so exciting, but there is so much change. And because we operate in so many countries and on every platform and have a real responsibility because the journalism, you know, our primary focus is obviously delivering for the terminal product. And so we have to be so conscious of making sure that everything we do is absolutely right. Um, because it moves markets. And so I think that the, the pace at which we do that and the, the pristine requirement for the accuracy in which we do it is, is worthy of staying up at night. Mary Louise Parker is our final honoree. She may be best known for eight seasons on Weeds on Showtime, but she has a vast career on stage and screen that stretches across decades. She's currently starring on Broadway in the new play Heisenberg. What job do you do? I'm an assassin. <laughs> I'm not, really! Aren't you? No, I'm a waitress! I bet that's a rather overpowering disappointment, isn't it? Now, the final part of my conversation with Marcia Smith. 
So um, Firelight Media focuses on developing documentaries. Uh, why documentaries in, um, as opposed to narrative films? I think documentaries are really exciting. Um, and that's a form that we know, it's a form that we came from. Um, and it's one that I think is, you know, has kind of endless possibilities as people are pressing the boundaries of what documentaries have considered to be, are kind of blending forms, are experimenting with interactive documentaries. So I don't see or feel the nonfiction arena as being limiting at all. I, I think it's really exciting, um, especially right now. Um, not that there's anything wrong with dramatic film, that those, those can be great too, but I think we really wanted to focus in on this form. What advice would you have for a young documentary filmmaker, or maybe not so young, maybe someone who started out in a different career and now is looking to start as a documentarian? What advice would you have for them on getting involved and maybe, you know, getting to know uh, Firelight Media? Uh, well, first of all, I would say a lot of people have done it, so don't be intimidated. I, I know it can be very intimidating to um, step outside something that you know or you think you know and do something that you think you don't know. Um, so I would say don't be intimidated. Um, the, the, the ways that um, new or emerging filmmakers can get connected with us are related to what I think people should be doing anyway. So go to every industry event that you have access to in your city. Um, if you can get to ones in the region, get to those. There are very often there are workshops, networking sessions at which you can make connections with people in the field. Um, we tend, we have more and more in the last couple of years organized events at those industry platforms with the explicit purpose of pulling in people. And we're going to continue to do that. So we'll do things at Sundance, at Tribeca, um, at Doc NYC, at, you know, I'm not sure what other ones, probably some other smaller ones during the year. But we uh, will organize panel discussions, social events where people can come in and get connected. It's not the most accessible field, even though I think the kind of self-perception of the documentary industry, and I'll call it the industry for the moment, is one, that it's really progressive and it's really forward-thinking, which it's not always, but also that it's really accessible and it's really open, which it is not always either. Um, so I think it's really important to go to those events. It's important to go to festivals, see as much work as you can. Um, and if you want to be a documentary filmmaker, you got to make films, <laughs> which, is, which is actually easier than it's ever been. You know, the, the equipment's accessible, um, and it's important to just keep making work. Um, it doesn't have to be perfect, it's not going to be your last, but it's important to keep making work and to keep at that. You know, if you can get a job as a production assistant or associate producer or a researcher or there are a lot of skills that are transferable from other fields, um, especially if you have an education. But if you don't, there are still jobs in the industry that I think can be a platform for you to get in. Um, so if you can get those jobs, that's great, and soak up all you can from people who are ahead of you, if they're directing, if they're producing, get on the project if you can. But you gotta keep making your own work too. 
Because a lot of you, especially women, in my experience, women are the greatest associate producers ever. And too many of them get stuck mm. being associate producers and are not either able or willing to kind of step out of that and, and do their own work. It's very challenging. Yeah, I mean, as a part of a women's organization, we are always talking about how, you know, among the, uh, you know, major films released every year, usually the top 100 films released in a year, somewhere between 4 and 7% of those are directed by women. Um, in documentaries, there is, like, a greater number of women who I think have been able to direct and achieve more success, maybe because there's a lower barrier to entry. Mm -hmm. But there's still um, challenges that women face. Could you talk a little bit about some of those challenges that women documentary makers face and that they might be able to find ways to overcome? Yeah, I think a lot of them are parallel to the, the kind of barriers that women face in, in any field, right? So, you know, that if you don't have access to the kind of networks of power in the field, you've got to work harder to get in. If there's no kind of, um, you know, pipeline for you to enter, it's hard to get in. Um, you know, documentary is, um, I think it is more open. I think that is why there are more women who are able to be successful in it. But as the, the field as a whole is challenged by uh, lack of money. Um, there isn't the kind of money on the documentary side that exists on the dramatic side. There aren't the kind of exhibition opportunities, TV, except, you know, reality TV. Who wants to do that? But that's, mm -hmm. you know, not artistic. Um, so money is a barrier. Networks are a barrier. Sometimes family responsibilities are a barrier mm -hmm. because women more often have them. Um, you know, if so if you have a kid, if you have a child and you don't have a partner, then, you know, you've got more constraints. Um, it's unstable. And so especially if you have a lot of family responsibilities, I've seen this happen to, to several women, many women, is, you know, e even if you can get a film out and it's very successful, it's hard to make another one. Mm -hmm. um, and it's harder, I think, as a woman or a person of color, even having a successful film under your belt, to get the money for the next one. Right. It's hard, um, and that's discouraging, and, you know, there's a lot of poor filmmakers, and, you know, it's hard. So I think I, I, I've seen uh, most of the people I know who have made really great work and then left the field are women, um, because many of them at some point, if they have the option to choose something that's sustainable, they choose it, which is a real loss. What can we do, whether we're women in the industry, whether it's NYWIFT or Firelight Media or any other group, what can we do to support women filmmakers? Like, really support them, whether it's money, whether it's opportunity, whether it's, you know, figuring out childcare on set. Like, what is it that we can do to really support women so they don't leave the industry? That's an interesting question. I think there's probably a lot more we could do than we're doing. Um, if we think of it differently, you know, I think part of what we see our job as being is expanding the networks of people who we come in contact with. So we want to put our own networks at their service, um, which is not always instinctive, by the way. You know, if, if we if we know it's a competitive landscape for film, 
we, you know, you have to make a decision whether you want to kind of hold your network close or do you want to actually expand it. I think mm -hmm. we have to expand it. I think depending on where we're sitting, you know, if you're a programmer, you can take it as your responsibility to reach out beyond the group of filmmakers that you know. You know, get some women in your festival, get some people of color in your festival. That has to be kind of, you have to do that these days. You just, it's a requirement. So I, I think um, definitely money, um, if we can organize, you know, you know there are a number of, of investment groups or giving circles now. I think women's money is getting a little better organized, which I think is great. So I think money is important, networks are important, and I think community is important. Great. Thank you, Marcia, so much for joining me. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. The Muse Awards are here in New York on Thursday, December 8th. You can find out more by visiting nywift.org and follow us on Twitter at nywift. I hope to see you there. Shot Colors is brought to you by New York Women in Film and Television. To find out more, visit nywift.org. Shot Colors is produced by me, Destiny Lilly, and the music is by Lisa Brigantino.